CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of Money Reimagined is sponsored by SIBO Digital. You're listening to Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. Hello and welcome to the very first episode for 2024 of Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey and I'm joined by my co-host Sheila Warren. Please, as we always ask, don't forget to subscribe, give us a thumbs up or leave a review. Uh, You can really give us your feedback and we'd love it. So share your thoughts with us at podcasts at coindesk.com. You've got to use the subject line Money Reimagined. Uh, We really look forward to hearing from you. So tune in every week. You can catch us on the Coindesk Podcast Network or find our Money Reimagined feed on Apple, Spotify, on your preferred podcast platform. So happy new year, uh, Sheila. We should be clear with our listeners here that you know it's not quite yet New Year. We're recording this in advance, um, <laughs> but let's 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 launch. Everyone needs vacations, Michael, Thank and we you. will be taking happy, a well-deserved happy future New Year vacation. to you, Sheila. Yes. Um, look, uh, I think you know moments like this. Uh, we've been doing it for for centuries, um, and certainly as journalists, this is what we always do. We look back on the year that was, and we look forward to the year that's coming, and we try to make some smart smarty pants type observations and, and sound like you have some clue about what's going to come ahead and and, and you always end up wrong. Um, How dare you? How dare you? My <laughs> predictions are absolutely. Oh, yours, yes, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, try, try. I've got, re- I got really good, very good predictive power in hindsight. I, I'm an oh, 100%. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a fantastic retroactive, <laughs> retrospective investor. I, I'm really good at that. So this is the thing about crypto. Every year you could say, well, what a year. I kind of feel like, I mean, certainly for CoinDesk as well, there's like, what a year. Like we had FTX actually happened at the end of last year. But for me this year, certainly just the ride that my own company's been on and where we happened. And, and of course, the backdrop of everything that's been happening in this in this space, uh, in the fallout from FTX and the, the regulatory shenanigans and so forth, it did feel like an incredibly big year. And something happened in the last in in, in December that I, I thought maybe you and I could reflect on because in some respects it encapsulates the challenges and and maybe some lessons about what the crypto industry should be mm-hmm. focusing on. And it was the um it was the hack of uh, it was the ledger hack. And this is this massive mm-hmm. exploit. And the thing about ledger is like it's been held out for a very long time as the solution uh, that kind of Let's you have your cake and eat it too. It, it it really leans hard into the idea of you know not not your keys, not your coins. You know you have to have control over your private keys. 
uh, not not some third party like FTX, right? That this is self custody, and that's a good thing. But because it's got this really clever uh, external uh, syncing system, you know, you can have the ease of being able to manage in, in, in an online environment uh, your, your coins. And so you don't have the hot wallet problem and so forth. And so it's like, oh, wow, this is a great way to sort of have an online experience and Ledger's done interesting things to try to incorporate those into DeFi and everything else. And so it's seen as the way to actually have the important security of self-custody, not having to trust a third party to who could exploit it and be able to trade. And so when it happened, kind of went through my mind. I was like, oh my God, even, you know, this is just, are we never going to get there? Can we just, is there never going to be a solution? And I got thinking about Zuko, right? Uh, mm-hmm. for the, the very, until very recently, the, the head of Zcash. And um, he had this famous concept called Zuko's Triangle from some time back, a cryptography concept that says, it's really, it is my, kind of impossible to reach the holy grail of three things, security, decentralization, and human meaningfulness. So human, something, something can be human meaningful, like, like human readable as well. The idea that it's, it's mm-hmm. ease of use, basically. And that, you know, it, you have to have really complex things if you're going to solve all this stuff. And, you know, it was like, once again, this thing has fallen apart. We lost the security by trying to make it too easy for humans and, and, and ensuring we had decentralization and ultimately gave up on security. And is this impossible? Are we ever going to get it, like, have this, this deal? And I threw it to Mark Hochstein, who's, you know, executive editor ethics and standards appropriately at at Coindesk. And he said, or this is also a reminder uh, that financial incentives in our system can create misalignments that result in failures. Like we don't know exactly what happened at Ledger, but you could argue that it just didn't do enough to actually support its security because it has its eyes on cost saving or on revenues or on something else, right? So that that's the other lesson. And it might even be a better one to take in this. They're both kind of lessons. They're both require us to think differently about the world. But one is, I think, ultimately, the second one is actually more optimistic because it, it, it's, it's like we ourselves need to build a better system economically, financially, politically, if you like, for how we deal with these things. Anyway, I want to throw that you. know, you. there was this- What are your uh, thoughts on it? So I think, I think it was Kevin Wackett. I'm trying to find it right now. There was a meme that I just, was just like, oh, wow. And it's basically, uh, you know, three pictures, right? And it's like traditional finance, and it's, you know, the Drake thing, right? With, with, with these memes that, that people are familiar with. Mm. Traditional finance, decentralized finance, re-centralized, decentralized finance, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And I was just like, oh, that hurts, you know? <laughs> but it's it's this, this idea that when things start to hit those boundaries of familiarity, of, to your point, human familiarity, uh, or even like a human comfort level with this mm. sort of like initial push towards something that is really quite revolutionary, you kind of pull back. And what does that pullback look like? Well, in this space, it looks like a re-centralization, if you will, you know, in some capacity. And whether that becomes, uh, maybe it was your keys and maybe it's kind of less your keys and maybe maybe it's less of a focus on sort of complex security that makes it, you know, makes the user interface more challenging or whatever it is, that sort of like re-centralization return to the familiar or the norm mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. just, uh, I, I just saw that about an hour ago and I, I was just chuckling about it as much as I was like, oh boy, that about nails it. <laughs> Well, well, I think I think actually uh, I think I may have mentioned this once before on the show, but if not, I'll either way I can say it again. Um, I, I was always struck by a line that I heard from Preston McAfee, who's a, an economist that was at Google. And I think he was also at Microsoft, and and he, he said, "Look, if you like engineers 
really actually love centralization. Right? Centralization is efficiency. It's much more efficient to do something with centralization. Um, but he said, like, if you just uh, allowed engineers to follow that instinct on everything, they would reconstruct the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union is incredibly <laughs> yeah, efficient. Planned. Right. It, it was very efficient. When Stalin <laughs> wants something true. to happen, it yeah, would happen, right? right? It, the, the sort of the through line from command and control to the end result, very efficient. But yeah, not exactly. <laughs> well, and not even that. I mean, I would say, let's take it a step further. I actually think that's what you're seeing in India right now. We've talked about this quite a bit on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, we're actually seeing this. And some prize this. Oh, now you've got you know UID and UPI, and and some are like this is just so efficient, and India is coming into its own. And look, it's just become this model of you know capitalist engagement and and job growth and everything else, economic growth. But there's a cost to that. There is a cost to that, you know. And 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 that cost is uh, people can argue about this, and different you know minds will differ. But certainly one of the costs to that is you know are you really sacrificing a true democracy? <laughs> like what does that mean? And how much do those principles and ideals matter? And and to what extent are you sacrificing principles like privacy? You know, those things I, I believe are quite seminal important. And those are also trade-offs that can be made in the name of whether it's efficiency or familiarity or, or humanness, to put this a little bit more into the Zuko framework that you mm-hmm. outlined. Uh, all those things uh, are do represent trade-offs and or, depending on your point of view, compromises. Mm-hmm. And striking the balance is really tough. And so I guess, you know, I, when I think about this year, Michael, I think it's it was a year of reckoning. And so a lot of kind of pillars of the community fell. Okay. So it wasn't just Sam Bankman Freed, it was CZ. You know, you had uh enforcement actions come out against almost I think literally all the major exchanges. You had uh as Mika moves into level two implementation, you're seeing some of those starting with Lithuania, you're seeing like a pretty strict versioning around what's going to happen, what that's going to mean. You know, uh, I think there was a bit of a reckoning with with some of the excesses and some of the sort of fly-by-night practices that some folks thought they could get away with, and frankly, did get away with for quite a period of time, right? Mm-hmm. I think that is now gone. Like, certainly that phase of it is gone. Now, will there emerge new, you know, charlatans? Of course, because of course. we are humans, <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, humans, humans get a human. So, that's right. But that phase of it, I think, is now behind us. And mm-hmm. and what's interesting also is to note that the market has absorbed that. The market has absorbed all of these things over the course of 23, and we still are where we are. Now, is that bullish? Is it bearish? Depends on who you ask. But certainly the reality is that all those big hits that we all thought were coming, and many of us were not entirely sure what would happen to the valuation, to the existence of certain kinds of you know uh, companies, frankly, or capabilities. We're certainly seeing consolidation, but we're kind of in the final stages of sort of reckoning with all of that. So that's kind of one thing that happened. The other thing is that everybody, because we were in a bear market, and part of it, because you know, priorities were low and there were rounds of layoffs across the industry. All of that forced everyone to just get really granular about priorities. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, that looked like trade-offs in product or, or compromises, if you will. In other mm-hmm. cases, it looked like, what policies are we really trying to pursue? Like, what are the things that are really axioms for us? What are the, what are the sort of like, you know, um, the things that we cannot compromise on? And I wish I could say there were industry alignment on that. There absolutely is not. Ask me how I know. But- mm-hmm. We got to more of it than I think we had in the past and understanding that we really are kind of all in this together. And at this point, if you remain an enthusiast or a somebody who is actually committed to a vision of the future that involves some element of decentralized technologies in some whatever that might look like, right? 
at this point, you were kind of a, you were in it, you know, and, mm. and the ability to sort of distinguish in, in a really um, small way to anybody who's outside of the bubble that we all live in is really challenging, if not impossible. So there is there has been a reckoning also with the idea that all of these fine distinctions we like to draw and many in the industry like to draw are somewhat meaningless when you zoom out even a little bit, you know, mm. and, and I do think that I, my hope is over the course of the next six months or so, you'll see more coordination, more collaboration from players who historically were either active rivals or even had personal animus, you know, in some cases, or so it seemed. And you'll see a bit of that continue to be put aside in, in furtherance of a broader proposition, which, you know, it, it, it cre- as we've said many times on the show, the strangest of bedfellows, the hmm. absolute most bizarre companions on this journey ever. <laughs> and yet, and yet here we are. Yeah. So, but where does it go? Like, is this going to revive a spirit of decentralization, or is it that realism that that we have to like work through other solutions to this? I want to dwell on it a little bit more because since this is uh, 2024, yeah, I, I have to plug a book that I, that's coming out that I uh, have the pleasure of writing with Frank McCourt. That's coming out in mid March. People will be hearing about this. But there was an exercise that we went through because we were kind of comparing. The struggle to redefine the internet, or, and essentially re-decentralize the internet. This, mm-hmm. this really is the appropriate verb. Re-decentralize the internet, um, and we're comparing it to the American project, the beginnings of the American democracy, and so forth. And read a uh, Frank and I went through this process where we like were reading famous speeches from the past just to try to get a sense of what the mindset was. And there's a famous one that that George Washington gave. Before, when he was basically telling the American people that he was stepping down, because there were all these people calling for Washington to continue on as the president, because they was beloved and he was a hero, and they were all really nervous about what the future was. And he said, "No, no, no, no. We look. We all agreed that this is the principle that we're having. In some respects, it's decentralized, right? It's not a monarchy. It's not this centralized system yes. anymore." Memorialized and he, in Hamilton in a very lovely uh, right. That's right. It wasn't yeah, Hamilton exactly? Moments, yeah, yes. yeah. And it was like. He he just said, "Yeah, I, I, it, no, this is hard, but it's for the better of everything." And um, I think I think that that's the way I like to think. Maybe you know, and the things you got to get the general public to actually understand that that's the principle, like that this is really worth fighting for. Um, that 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 really it's about about not allowing excessive power in our lives. And, and, and empowering people and, and entities and businesses at the edges, that's what decentralization is to me. You know, I, I, I don't know that I'm a purist in it. I, I fully recognize that we have to be, we have to find solutions and offer those uh, centralized solutions, but that the spirit and the principles behind that are what we're fighting for. So I, my hope is that like, even to the degree to which we learn how to compromise and get, you know, bring in regulators and work out what this sort of system is going to look like, that, that we can always sort of like have a first principles understanding about why we're here and, and why this decentralized thing, as nerdy as it sounds, is actually really important. Do you have a trusted partner for your crypto trading? SIBO Digital will introduce financially settled margin futures on Bitcoin and Ether January 11th, 2024, with physically delivered contracts to follow. 
listed and cleared on SIBO's US-regulated exchange and clearinghouse, and complemented by a liquid crypto spot market for greater ease and access. We invite you to learn more about this and all applicable risk disclosures at cibodigital.com slash coindesk. That's cboedigital.com slash coindesk. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because it, one of the most vocal and I would say violent critics in Washington of the crypto project, if you will, is this guy named Matt Stoller. Mm-hmm. And he I mean, recently we could have Matt on the show at one point and we didn't get around to it, but we will get it. Yeah. Matt. I, that would be wild. Okay. I mean, so, so he. Yeah, know, he, he and I have had a, had a few back and forth on this. Back and yeah. forth, as, as have he and I. And, and, I, and as, as he and frankly anybody who's sort of prominent or has public visibility in the space at this point. But, you know, recently he, he tweeted out something that was just, just really kind of uh, even more uh, intense than I'd ever seen before. It's just like if, at this point, if you're still in the crypto industry, you're sort of de facto a terrible human being kind of thing, right? Like, it, it, like moral, it wasn't just like you're delusional or you're a sociopath. It was like, you were just a terrible person, you know, basically, right? I'm paraphrasing badly and I'm trying to find it. But a criticism, uh, you know, that, that attaches here, which I think misses the fundamental project, which really does become the reason why you can get progressives, you know, like myself and, and, and libertarians, like many others in this space, on the same kind of project is because this fundamentally is about power and agency. And what you think mm-hmm. should be done with power and agency differs and can differ. And that is, that is I mean, that's a political question, right? Mm-hmm. And I have very strong views on what I think power and agency should be used for. And others have different views. Um, but you can't get there without a fundamental base layer, if you will, that anchors in the concept that users, consumers, innovators, you know, should at least at baseline have the option to have control over their data, their transfer, their whatever it is, without ceding that, you know, to others. Mm-hmm. And I think where you and I and people who I would call sort of centrists in this conversation tend mm-hmm. to land is that that is an option. You know, it, it is not to say that everybody must do it mm-hmm. that way or must take advantage of that or must whatever, right? Yeah. I think what I prefer to see is, you know, a kind of an architecture at the, at, again, I, at the base layer that is anchored in that reality. And then you can make choices how you yeah. want to recentralize the people. You can hand off power to somebody else, but you can retract That's right. that. And get back you can recentralize yeah. it as much as you want to and make those choices. Mm-hmm. But, but you if have the, the base is choice. centralized, you mm-hmm. can't decentralize from a centralized core. You can centralize from a decentralized core. So to go back to that thing that it was Kevin who said this, Kevin Wacky, uh, mm-hmm. GitHub and, and and this idea or the meme he created rather just the idea of recentralization recentralization decentralization as much as it's kind of like a funny sort of slap in the face and feels like a bit of a gut punch on some level it's also kind of the point right it's about choice if you have a foundation of decentralization you can always choose to centralize if you have a foundation of centralization it is basically it is impossible to decentralize mm-hmm. on top of that. So that's, what is that? Yeah. Where well, do you, well, well, the only way to decentralize is actually to have a revolution, right? That's the point. Like, that, that's right. You, you tear the whole thing down when you decentralize from a centralized system. But you have a that's base. Right. That has a, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's like... And that, that's what it comes down yeah. to for me. And so when we're talking about the fundamental architecture, we, we use all these different terms, base layer, L1, blah, blah, mm. blah. But that the preservation of that as decentralized, to me, fundamentally winds up being about choice. And again, that's why I see this as a progressive project, as a libertarian project, mm-hmm. as an in-between project, because you can make those choices about how you want to engage with your fellow humans, and you can only make those choices effectively and with meaning, with human value, if you will, mm-hmm. if that 
core underlying it all is fundamentally decentralized. And, and so, I, look, I, I hate to belabor yeah. this whole analogy I keep coming back to, and, and, and I'm sure that Matt Stoloff, if he listens to this thing, says once again, a bunch of crypto people trying to sort of attach themselves to some higher ideal. But like, I really do think that like, it's an interesting way to think about the way that the US constitution is structured, the bill of rights, these things, these are yeah. base layer yeah. principles, right? And That's they right. are That's right. principle. They're pushing agency, the individual. There are unalienable, it's actually, it's, interestingly, it's, I discovered, it's not inalienable as it's written. Unalienable, yes. Unalienable. Unalienable, right, uh, are attacked. And, and that's a starting principle, right? And then you can like, you know, we, we build on top of that and we have associations and organizations and there's sort of like, there's law and order and those other aspects that have to, in some way, expect, not necessarily encroach on those rights, but but calibrate them in the right way. But at the end of the day, that is still the principle. At the end of the day, and, and you bring that to the Supreme Court, they're going to have to rule on those principles. Right. This to me is a similar idea about how you think about what a base layer protocol is. Uh, it's 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 the foundational layer, and it that's has right. to have these principles in place. That's right. And I think that's yeah, a really so, powerful way to be to be thinking about this. Yeah. That's how this is. This is what I've what I've come to. And and so to me, when I think about what are what is the priority, that's the priority, right? The priority is setting the table in such a way that people can make decisions. Uh, and builders and others about, you know, what makes sense and and for them and their communities. And so I talk a lot about, you know, micro communities and micro scale and the different mm. ways of thinking about what scale means. Um, and to me, scale is about the ability for, for now, look, this is not without its dangers. And then we can get into the whole conversation about trust and safety and abuse and exploitation. All of those things are really important, right? But but it, it's all a matter of like, what do you fundamentally believe philosophically is the place to start? Now, something I've been doing lately for a variety of, of reasons rooted in US politics is rewatching The West Wing, mm. which I had not, oh, which, so I favorite. went to law school. Oh, yeah. yeah, so when I was in law school, that was the timing of when that show was on. And so every week, a bunch of us would gather in someone's apartment, and, you know, put it on and watch the thing and, and mm. think, you know, lofty thoughts about American democracy and, and, and you know, whatnot. But there's an episode of it. I, I must say, it, 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 is, it is shocking how little has changed and, and incredibly mm. pressing at times. So I can't recommend this as like a cathartic exercise necessarily. It also, like the casual misogyny does not age well. I will also put that out there. And sure. it's shocking. It is absolutely shocking in some moments. Regardless, yeah. there's an episode where, funnily enough, they bring in this law professor. Okay, so it's, it's a country. I forget what country. Uh, I should remember this. And they're, they're drafting a constitution. Okay. Uh, kind of from scratch. And so they right. bring in a man who's clearly meant to be Larry Tribe, but they call him Larry Lessig, both oh, of whom wow. are my professors. Okay. Larry oh, wow. Tribe or Con Law and <laughs> had Lessig yeah, yeah. for all the things one yeah. has Lord Les- uh, Lessig for. Anyway, it's really funny because they misname him in the show and it's pretty yeah. obvious that doing it. It's very funny. But anyhow, they bring in this guy who's meant to be Larry Tribe and he's talking about all the things you're talking about. Like, how do you fundamentally ground uh, a country? Like, how do you think yeah. about governance in a way that is about, um, what is best for the people? And how do you accommodate cultural norms? How do you accommodate different, you know, all, all these kinds of different variances that we want to have? And what does that foundational look like? And it, it got me thinking, because I had Larry Tribe for Kong Law. And part of what is really put into your brain when you go to, maybe not every law school, but certainly the one I went to, which is Harvard, which is the Harvard Law School, uh, is this idea that it's fundamentally about rights and liberties, right? And those are different things. We talk a lot about civil liberties. We talk about mm-hmm. civil rights. And those things are embedded, to your point, in founding documents. How you interpret those documents is it means basically means you either come out as being you know an originalist, a federalist, or you come out mm-hmm. as being progressive, and, and you know either of those things can be activists as a judge, regardless. But how you kind of frame it, and so there's this really interesting back and forth between this Larry Tribe character uh, or Larry Lessig um, and mm-hmm. uh, Toby Ziegler, who's like one of the main you know uh, staffers. Yeah, right the I remember, yeah, 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 and they go back, and and Toby Ziegler's like, well, you know, why do you assume that you know everybody should have an American frame on things, and has that really worked for us? And and he's all in a gruff kind of obnoxious way. 
And and Larry Tribe, it comes down fundamentally to like of all the systems of government that existed in the world, you know, like this is the the best of the worst. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, Churchillian concept as well, right? Churchill's that's right. But it's also this concept of like, it doesn't have to remain like that. You can Mm. build on top of that foundation in ways that the American project has not, but Mm -hmm. others potentially could. And that's, it's a bit of a throwaway line in there, but I remember I rewound it and watched it again. And I was like, that is really powerful. And it gets at what I was just saying, which is we can only imagine American democracy as American democracy is. But that foundation could spin up any number of different scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. It is not necessarily the case that we'd wind up in a situation. I mean, I would argue the situation we're in now is not exactly one to write home about. Okay, it's not exactly working so well, but leaving that aside, you know, there are many scenarios that could spin up from that foundational base. We just lack the imagination to think about those. But it's just something that's been on my mind. Funnily enough, in parallel, I didn't even realize you and Frank were doing that. But it all comes down at the end of the day, you know, to what you believe about human nature, to what you believe about, to your point earlier, incentives, to what you believe about what you're kind of constructing as a system that is malleable and that has the ability to grow and change and morph and develop along with the communities that are leveraging its mm. capabilities. Yeah. And this is like, again, one of the things I've always loved about the right kinds of people, not saying right, right, there's right and wrong. No, the, 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 a lot of people within the crypto community that I, I, I have been drawn to and continue to be drawn to who think like this. About, okay. They're, they're literally system designers, but they're system designers not for a very dull, you know, mechanical concept of a network of fiber optic cables and computers. They're talking yes. about system designs for human behavior. The incentives yeah. is a huge part of this the models of like governance and everything else that comes into it. You know, when you sort of look through some of the early conversations that the, the, you know, the Vitalik and everybody around him were having in designing Ethereum, they're thinking through about all of these huge challenges about what this base layer concept they're building now might have to, what are the things that will have to still be in place, you know, a hundred years hence when they think Ethereum is going to keep going and doing these things. Right. And I'm sure that, you know, and, and certainly, certainly, I mean, Satoshi had all these things in mind and, and others, who then joined the Bitcoin project have all these big high-level conversations. They imagine what it's going to be like when the market cap of you know Bitcoin is the same as gold, and then how much electricity is that going to need? And like they're looking out into this future and wondering about what the system design of that base layer now yeah. is, so that it can survive and be ready for all of that change. And I think that's just a fascinatingly, I mean, it's an inspiring thing to be doing because it's like you're trying to build something that is secure now so that the future can be better, right? It's, it's constructing a layer of governance, really, that allows us. And sure, it, it also happens to be one that was brought in an insane amount of speculation and, and, and get-rich-quicks and schemes and con men and everything else. So, so Matt Stoller, yes, sorry, I keep bringing Matt into this, but Matt Stoller, yes, there are a bunch of really jerky, horrible people. Yes, But the thing is, it's founded on these principles and there are plenty of people who are yeah. uh, absolutely not just obsessed, they, they're protective of that. They get yeah. they get up in arms when somebody comes in and steals. This is why everyone's so upset with Sam Bankman-Fried as much as anything else, yeah. right? And so there's a there's this spirit to it all. So I think maybe we have to round it out on this because like this is this is the message, the new year, right? Like, like yeah. Keep that spirit alive, you know, fight for this, <laughs> fight for this. this Something this. worth fighting for, yeah. Something fighting for because it's like it's a vision for. for everybody, right? It's not just yeah. for, for you and, and your, you know, your own little pet token. It's, it's, it's actually for, um, 
for all the participants in the, in these in these ecosystems that, that are emerging out of this. So um, yeah, yeah, let's leave it at that. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Happy holidays, Sheila. Yeah, no, no light, chat, no light chat today. No light chat to kick off the New Year. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us and looking forward to being with all of you through, through the rest of this year. I think, you know, some upcoming episodes, uh, Sheila and I were going to be back at the World Economic Forum in Davos. I didn't think I was going to be there this year, but somehow I'm, I'm back in that, in that crazy place that you uh, have spent some of your Neither time. Neither did I, and yet... And uh, we're back again doing it, that strange experience of these old, this, the, the barbarians, the crypto barbarians who line up the along gates. the promenade. They're the trying gates, to launch yes, their way through the gates, into the Congress and take over all the uh, Davos man uh, suit wearers, <laughs> the white badges. And um, it's a very strange, unreal place at that place. But I am looking forward to obviously spending more time with you there and in person yeah. and we'll do a bunch of interviews and get some cool episodes out. So it should be fun. Uh, alrighty, so that's it for now, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this, of course, has been Money Reimagined. Uh, do not forget to subscribe. Give us a thumbs up or leave a review. Uh, whatever feedback you want to give us, share it uh, at podcast at coindesk.com using the subject line Money Reimagined. Uh, and you can, you know, tune in every week, catch us on Coindesk Podcast Network, or you can uh, find the Money Reimagined feed on Apple, Spotify, and a variety of other uh, podcast platforms, whatever it is that you uh, think serves your needs best. Whatever you choose, because you Whatever have you it. choose, exactly. It's your choice. <laughs> it's your it's choice. Centralized, principled system of choice. That's what Money Reimagined is built upon. That's the principles for this thing. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.